Soul Bona, beautiful people, how you doing today? Thanks for tuning in and or downloading to this episode of Real Fitness. I really appreciate it, guys. For those of you who do not already know, and I'm pretty sure that many people do know, Sabona is the way that many people in South Africa greet themselves. It's just like saying, hello, what's up, how you doing? But it's literal meaning. And that is what has given that grace and so much popularity is I see you. When I think about the uprising going on in the United States today, how black people are saying enough is enough, enough of all the police brutality, the police killing, lynching and murdering of our people, people of color, black people in particular, one of the things I can just attribute that to is I don't know if we really see each other. I don't know if they really see me. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned but I've got a great show planner for you guys today just stick around and I'm gonna do my best to make sure that this show is comfortable for everyone irrespective of your color your creed or your country I'm hoping that you'll be able to listen gain insight and gain knowledge it's been a really difficult time for many of us. For me, I've had sleepless nights just trying to process everything that's been going on from the killing of Ahmaud Aubrey to Breonna Taylor, now George Floyd. It's been crazy. This is take eight of this episode because I've tried to record it seven other times. I just couldn't finish. And I'm hoping that this is going to be the last time. And however it is today, I'm just going to publish it. But so help me God, this comes out fine. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know change gonna come. So just like I said earlier, I am very cognizant of the fact that I have different kinds of listeners. I have black people, I have Caucasians, I have people in the United States, in the United Kingdom, Australia. Africa, India, different kinds of people listen to my podcast and it's okay. I'm going to try to make sure that I have links to every story, article or journal that I reference today because there's some things that I'll say and I'm just going to pick up like you already know what I'm talking about. Uh, those of us in the United States know what I'm talking about, but you just might not know if you're listening to me from some other regions of the world. I'm going to start off with a quote that I heard from Jalen Rose this morning. I heard it and it was so profound. He said, if only Americans could love black people as much as they love black culture, things would be so different. They love music. They love our swag, our sports, our entertainment. Hip-hop is the most consumed genre of music today. 
it almost feels like Americans as a whole cherry pick on the parts of blackness that it just like. Almost everything else but the people. There are five major stories that I'll be going through today and four of them have to do with needless police killing of black people. The fifth one is my story. I wasn't killed and I mean I'm here recording to this episode but I really hope that you would have something to pick out of the stories. Racism amongst other things is a public health issue. In the third story you would see how it impacts our mental health. But for the first story I want to talk about today, it really highlights how I began my episode by greeting everyone. Saul Bonner, I see you. If we saw each other and took the time to really communicate with people and try to know people beyond a skin color and try not to be blinded by colors because that is one of the things that is impacting and affecting America today. We are blinded by color. If you could see me past my color, I feel like there's going to be a lot more peace and justice and there's going to be a lot of avoidance of the needless deaths that we experience or we witness today. Let's talk about May 25th, 2020. It was Memorial Day and somewhere in Central Park, New York, the story unfolds of two people, two strangers who met themselves in a semi-thick part of the park. One of them, a black man, and the other one, a white lady. The black man, his name is Christian, and the lady, her name is Amy. So this guy is in the park. Christian is actually a bird watcher, which simply means that this season, spring season, is bird migration season. And people who are bird watchers, they like going out to capture glimpses of this bird, sometimes rare species of birds when they're flying or migrating from one climate region to the other. So Christian goes to the park as he routinely does and is trying to catch glimpses of these different birds. And I can understand that, of course, not at this level, but I love watching birds a lot. I love nature. So Christian is out there and he runs into Amy. Amy is there also in the pack. She has a dog with her. Her dog is named Henry and her dog is unleashed in the park. Meanwhile, everybody who goes to the park with a dog has to have the dog on a leash, but she doesn't have a leash. Christian, the black guy who's 57 years old and has been watching birds since he was 10 years old. That means this must have been for almost five decades. So he's familiar with dogs who are always hanging around and chasing the birds away. So he has a treat and he gives a treat to the dog just so he could calm the dog down while Amy leashes the dog and he was talking to her to leash the dog. Amy misinterprets what he was trying to do and she gets irate. And I know she did misinterpret it because she said it herself in an apology, which we'll hear about later. So Amy misreads what Christian is trying to do and she gets furious. Amy picks up her phone and says she's going to call the police and tell the police that there was a black man in the park who was threatening her life. Christian brings his phone out and begins to record. Amy's threatening. She's fuming. She's calling the cops. The main thing about this is that she was so confident that if the cops came, they would take her side being a white lady and probably apprehend, lynch, 
whatever. I don't know what she was expecting, but they would deal with the situation and they would deal with Christian. We know all of these because Christian was recording and the next day, which is Tuesday, Amy was fired by a company who released a statement and we know most of Amy's details from her LinkedIn profile. And two days later, which is on Wednesday, Christian was seen back at the park watching birds again and he was interviewed by a New York Times reporter. So most of the details that I'm talking about are actually well documented. But let's assume for a second that that whole encounter took a different route. That when Christian came to give Henry, the dog, a treat, Amy looked at him and really saw him and took a minute to figure out whom she was looking at. Not just the skin color, but saw Bonner. Like, see me. I'm only giving your dog a treat. Trying to calm him down just so you can leash him. I am on your side. I know you want to leash him. I know you're not trying to make trouble. And I'm just helping you out. Because I'm here to just see the birds. And I don't want him distracting the birds. We can coexist right here in the park together. That's all I'm trying to do. If Amy could only see him and see all that. They might have gone further into a conversation and she may have said, oh, thank you. I got Henry from a shelter because she actually did. And he really hasn't experienced so much kindness and love from other people. And that's why I got him. So it's so nice of you to be doing this. Christian who loved birds may have looked at her and said, oh, wow, really? That's interesting. And for someone who's been a bird watcher for almost 50 years, he may have one or two tips that he was going to give to Amy. And he may have started talking and he would have found that Amy actually went to a great school in Chicago where she studied business. And she would have found that Christian also went to Harvard where he studied political science. They would have found that they work very close to each other right there in the heart of New York City. They would have also found out that they both had the same last name, Cooper. She was Amy Cooper. He was Christian Cooper. They may have joked that, wow, are we related in some way? They may have said, okay, maybe we'll just go check out our lineage. Who knows? And they may have started talking about their lineage. And she may have said to him that she's from, we don't know. And he's from, we don't know. But there may have been some connections somehow. If they say that everyone you meet is just six connections away, do you not think that in their conversation, they may have found mutual friends and mutual connections just beyond the name, beyond being a central park? Beyond the birds and the dog Henry, there would have been more connections. They may have decided to have coffee some other time. They may have even decided to meet at the park at the same time. They may have become friends. And who knows how the story would have ended. So, Bonner, I see you. When you meet me, what do you see beyond the color? Sometime in November 2014 in Cleveland, Ohio, a group of kids were playing in a park also. And this time, it was Tamir Rice. He was there and he was playing with a toy gun. It was a very toy plastic gun. And one of the parents of the kids that were playing there called the cops. There was a black boy in the park who was playing with a gun. 
it might be a toy gun, but he's playing with a gun. And the police charged towards the park. Now, let's pause for a minute. You're an adult. Why couldn't you talk to the boy? Tamir Rice was 12 years old. He wasn't a threat. He saw a human being in a black skin and saw threats and he called the cops. The cops sped down, they rolled up on this guy, a 12 year old, and the officer came out of the car and po po two bullets to his chest at close range and it put Tamir Rice on the ground there. That 12 year old died. They came to eliminate, to execute, to lynch the guy. Tamir Rice's story breaks my heart. He was 12 years old. Even if the man who called the cops didn't see him, didn't want to have a discourse with him, whatever happened to identifying yourself and asking him to put down what seemed like a weapon? It wasn't even like he was holding it at all. Why couldn't they have a conversation? What do you see when you see me? What do you really see? When you see your colleagues, if you're black and you see your colleagues who are white, what do you see? Even if you're black and you see other blacks, what do you see? If you're white and you see blacks, what do you see? Do you see a threat? Do you see someone who's aggressive? Do you see aggression? Do you see a competition? What do you see? And whatever it is you're saying, these are all products of our stereotypes. Many of us have these implicit biases in us, which, to be honest with you, I don't think is totally out of place that we have those implicit biases. I think everyone does have them. I think it's understandable that we have them. I think it's understandable that when you see me, a built guy who's black, I wear my hair long, I have locks on my hair. When you see me and you think you see threats, or you see someone who's going to be strong and might overpower you if you get into an argument, you might be seen right. And that is your implicit bias talking there. But you don't have to respond or react that way. You have to learn to shut it off and see me for the nice, good-looking, handsome, compassionate, great counselor and fitness coach that I am. <laughs> but very serious notes, you need to really be able to see people beyond the skin colors. And that brings me to my third story, which is of me. Once upon a time, I was at work and this guy comes in, he wanted to buy a product. And I said, fine. I began to talk to him about what he wanted to get. 30 seconds into the talk, he said he couldn't deal with me. And he said, it's probably my color or my accent, but it was something that he just couldn't deal with. And I said, cool. Do you want me to call you someone who's white or someone who speaks English? That jolted him out of his bias and he says, okay, I'm sorry. He didn't even apologize. He just kept quiet and I continued. And I said to myself, well, if you don't want to listen to me, you can walk away, but I'm just going to keep doing my job like the professional that I am. And so I just continued talking. He was forced to listen and eventually he got the product and then he left. For me, 
I saw that he had a 10-year-old son beside him. I feared for what he was modeling for that child and the life that that child was growing up to experience as his reality that you don't talk to people who are black or of a certain descent because they are just not worthy enough or whatever explanation he was going to give to his boy on their way back. The boys whom I saw and I decided I wasn't going to let his ignorance go forward because I was hoping that the boy would have a chance to experience a better world and experience my professionalism and experience my grace, experience my ability to overlook his father's ignorance. And hopefully, I don't know if I made a change or made an impact, but that was my goal. But he saw something else. He saw someone who was less human. It was very dehumanizing. He didn't even want to talk to me. He felt we there was no way we could relate. There was no way we could understand each other. There was no way he could stand me. There was no way we could have anything in common. That was it for him. Now, I remember when I told my colleagues this story, they were so upset. One of my colleagues, her name is Jay. Jay was like, yo, Henry, I would have lost my job on that day because I would have reached across the table and grabbed him by the neck. <laughs> Another of my colleagues, her name is Jess. Jess was so, so livid. She was upset. She was like, yo, you have to show me this guy the next time he comes in because people cannot be acting this way in 2019. She was so livid. Another of my colleagues, her name is Tiona. Tiona was so upset. And she's like, yo, yo, Henry, you cannot be this calm all the time. You should have called us up. We would have rolled up on him and would have taught him a lesson and make sure he never, ever forgets that day the rest of his life. <laughs> a big shout out to you, ladies, and all my other colleagues and friends. I really appreciate you guys having my back there. Um, great place to work. And there was Bryce, another colleague and friend. Bryce is a white guy. Bryce wanted to learn more. He wanted to talk to me personally to understand how it felt. It was uncomfortable for him, I noticed. So he didn't know exactly how to start a conversation. But I made it comfortable for him. I made it easy for him. And we got talking and I explained to him how it all went down that day. And he said very honestly that, you know, that's never going to happen to me, but I'm so sorry for what you had to go through. And I really appreciate what Bryce did coming to me in spite of how uncomfortable it was to learn more, to know more, because these kind of conversations and this kind of learnings is how we really get to see each other, how we really get to know what we're going through, how we get to understand that people are people. There is no need to dehumanize anyone by your actions. I'll never forget his lines from Wyclef Jones' song when he was singing about the killing of Amado Diallo, where he says, We don't want no peace. We want equal rights and justice. We don't want no peace. We just want equal rights and justice. I just want you to see me as an equal. As a human. Because the implications of racism that dehumanizes people, which sometimes people of privilege do not really understand, and that's why they tend to say, wow, it was just a joke. Wow, it was just a word. You see, your words and your jokes that are careless or the things that you just say without thinking, they don't stop there. After the joke is done and the laughter quiets down, 
when this black person walks away. The thoughts of this dehumanization from your joke or your comments or your murder as it is today in the case of George Floyd, it lingers. It doesn't stop there because we begin to connect the dots of what you just said or what just happened to our other experiences and the other experiences of our brothers and sisters. And it quickly impacts our mental health. For instance, Sandra Bland. Sandra Bland's story breaks my heart. She was driving in Texas and there's this police officer who was coming behind her and she moved out of the way and then he moves out behind her and pulls her over. How offense? She didn't signal before pulling out of the way. And she couldn't understand and she's like, you were charging at me and that's the reason I pulled out of the way. And now you're giving me ticket for pulling out of the way without signaling. Meanwhile, you were the one who was charging at me. She had her reasons to be upset because she wouldn't have been pulled over if he wasn't coming at harder speed than he was. We see all of this because the officer's camera, his name was Insignia, Insignia's camera was on while all these transactions or communications was going on. And Insignia had walked up to the car with his citation in his hands and he noticed that Sandra was really upset and he was trying to have a conversation and I don't know how things escalated really, really quick. I'll post a link to the full video in the show notes. You can see it for yourself. Sandra was so upset and Insignia went from this guy who seemed to be very concerned to someone who was very, very upset and aggravated and Sandra was so upset like you pull me out of the car yank me down put me in handcuffs call for backup Sandra was a girl no weapons unarmed he calls for backup backup comes and Sandra is taken into police custody she's taken to jail Unlike most of the other stories where the policemen actually get to kill them with a gunshot, Sandra was not directly killed with a gunshot. She was in jail. Three days later, Sandra Bland's body was found lying dead. They said she had committed suicide in jail. Why do you think? It's the trauma. It's the PTSD. It impacts the mental health of people. When you see someone and you feel like you're seeing a threat because you're black, take a moment and really see them and say to yourself, I do not see the threats. He's not threatening. She's not aggressive. She's not here to steal from me. He doesn't have a gun in his car. Take a moment and really, really see us. And for us, take a moment and really see them. But many times the aggression is usually from the race that sees themselves to be superior. And I dare say that Mr. Trump has really done more harm than good to 
increase and incite racial disparities in this country. Now, this is not me trying to be political. And I feel like if I had the guts to mention the names of the people who have been murdered, like say their names and also call out society and call out whites, I think I can also call out Donald Trump. After all, he has said he's not a politician, so I'm not being political. I'm just saying what it is. But I feel like he has created an environment that has fostered this. When I think about Ahmaud Aubrey, why did the people who went to kill him, because that's what they did, they went out to hunt him down. Why did they believe that they would do that and nothing would happen to them? And in many cases, they've always gone scot-free. The belief that you can oppress other people today, other human beings, the belief that you can do that and get away with it is what is troubling. So today, while many of us are really outraged by the lynching of George Floyd, and I'm calling it what it is, because seeing the video of a white police officer have his knee on the neck of a man that is handcuffed till he is breathless and even afterwards for almost eight long minutes is very heartbreaking. It is dehumanizing. Like, I don't understand how else to say it. Like, we are not equal until that philosophy that makes one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently, it has to be discredited, abandoned and eliminated in our minds, in our psyches, in our biases, not just the government because the government is made up of people. So in everybody, in every individual, white, black, brown, whatever your creed, whatever your color, whatever your country, and wherever your creed is, we all have to discredit that philosophy, take it of our minds and really see people as equals, as human beings. And finally, if love is patience, if love is kind, if love is respect and regard for one another, then we have to default to love. Many of us might know this concept is a theory called the truth default theory. It was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in his most recent book titled Talking to Strangers. According to Timothy Levine, the guy who developed the truth default theory, he said the basic idea of the TDT is that when we communicate with other people, we not only tend to believe them, but the thought that maybe we shouldn't doesn't even come to mind. And that is deep. He goes further to talk about how that this is the default state of many humans. In our relations and interactions with people, we always tend to default to truth. I want to take that a little further here today and say, I think and I believe and I'm urging many of us to default to love. You should talk to yourself and train yourself so much that all your implicit biases that makes you, for instance, think of 
threat when you see a black man. Think of aggression or hostility when you see a black woman or whatever it is you think of when you see people of Latino culture or people of Asian descent or even when you see white people, whatever it is that you think, you talk to yourself so much to the point that those biases are no longer the first things that comes to display when you see people. In other words, for every time you meet a black man, for instance, you'll learn to tell yourself, I'm not seeing a threat. I'm seeing a friend. I'm seeing a human being. I'm seeing a colleague, a scholar, whatever the case might be. And you relate to them that way. By the time you keep doing this over and over, you get to the point where you don't have to because you default to love. Once in a while, you might find someone who fits that stereotypical profile that people have of people of different colors and races. Maybe once in a while, you're mugged and you're actually mugged by a black man. But that is not enough reason for that to be your default. Those are the exceptions because in the same way, in like fashion, people are also mugged by white men. People are also mugged by Latinos. In other words, it's not the color that makes the mugging. It's just how people are. The way that policing is done, they are designed to default to force, default to macroaggression towards people of color, and it really shouldn't be so. Respect one another for whom they are, see everyone as humans, and treat them that way. I believe that when we keep doing this, that things are really going to be a lot better. And believe it or not, people have a way of responding to how you treat them. In other words, when you treat me like the human being that I am, I respond to you like a human being. I give you all the respect that you give to me. Chances are very slim that I will treat you with disrespect when you treat me with respect. And I wrap up with this verse from the great book, the Bible where at the beginning of creation it records that God says to man, go into the world and take dominion over all creatures. Might I just say to everyone that it wasn't for man to dominate man, it was for man to dominate the earth and subdue it. So please don't try to dominate me, don't try to subdue me. That was not the directive given to you. That is not how we're designed, it's not how we're created, it's not how we're built. When we try to dominate one another, things go into chaos. There's going to be an uprising. So let's treat one another as equals. Let's look for the beauty in each other because there is a lot of beauty to behold. Thanks everyone for listening. I really hope that this will be the episode that everyone gets to hear. I'm sure that I went through it pretty cool without any tears. And I think I'm comfortable with the content. Either ways, I think I'm going to publish this one. And if what you heard resonates with you, if you think it's good and if you think it's going to be helpful to anyone, please share this podcast with anybody anywhere. Also share with number 45. I want everyone at the White House to actually get to hear this including my president, President Barack Obama <laughs> and Michelle. But yeah, please um, share this with everyone, family and friends. And I really hope and pray that the world is going to be a better place for all of us because my goal here on Real Fitness is to make sure that everyone lives a life 10 over 10. And I'm here to help you be physically fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit. And I hope to keep giving you great and amazing content every time you tune into this podcast. 
My name is Henry again, your fitness and lifestyle coach and counselor. Thanks for your time. Talk to you soon. Ciao for now.